to um, ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to read from there. We're going to jump around a few passages in the New Testament. But I'm going to start from a psalm. And this is Psalm 42. <clears throat> and this psalm, among so many, have meant a lot to me. And especially in my life as a minister, they've meant so much to me because... <clears throat> And I believe for you as well, as you just live your life, how you're so desperate for the presence of God. You know, it's, it's, it's the reality of God that we desperately need, the effect of God upon our life. And so, the psalm, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so pants my soul after you, O God. What a blessed life. What a blessed reality that your soul thirsts breathlessly for the presence of God. What a reality God is to that person. I would imagine in most churches today, maybe among Christians today in our community or even in our nation, it could be very possible that they have gone months or years without even contemplating really God's presence. The mechanics is enough. Going to church is enough. Reading my devotion is enough. Saying my prayers, going through my prayer list, that's enough. But this wasn't enough for the psalmist. I don't want a service. I want God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I don't want a dead God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? Maybe some of you are in a place in life where you feel very similar to this. You're at a place in your life where things are going on and you're wondering where God is. And maybe there are things so heavy upon you and you have a reputation of being a godly man or woman. And there are things so heavily upon you that maybe even friends and family and even enemies are kind of agitating you saying, hey, where's God? Where's this God in your life? Where's this help and this assistance from this one that you go and worship every week? Where is he? And sometimes you just feel down, right? And sometimes you just are dealing with a despair that I feel it very hard to worship God. I'm so hungry for God. I'm so thirsty for God. I long for God. And his, I'm, I, I want to be before him. But the presence of God just doesn't seem too real to me right now. And I don't want to go through the motions. I want it to be, quote, real. And I want to just be back at that place where I'm praising God and celebrating God and worshiping God. But I'm just not there right now. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of down. And people are even agitating me about where God is. And he says in verse 4, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. I praise God for this psalmist, because my despair and desperation for the presence of God, my unique situation in life where I'm going through hardship and I'm wondering where God is himself is not keeping me from going to the house of God and praising him with people. As a matter of fact, the psalmist says, I'm the leader of the praise. But in my heart, I'm crying for God. I lay on my bed at night and pour my soul out for God. I long for him. Why are you cast down, O my soul? 
Why are you disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him. For the help of his countenance. Oh my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember you. From the land of Jordan. The Hermonites. The hill of Mazar. Deep calls unto deep. At the noise of your water spouts. All your waves and your billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me. And my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say to God my rock. Why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones my enemies reproach me. While they say daily unto me. Where is your God? Why are you cast down O my soul? Why does this bother you? Why is this present experience that you're going through have such a powerful influence on you to cast your soul down? Why are you doing that? You know, put your hope in God. It's a season you're passing through. God's going to lift you up. Your head's going to be lifted up. You're going to walk on your high places again. Why settle down in this place? Why are you cast down? You've got enemies. They've got swords. They're reproaching you. I understand. But God is your help. And God will not forsake you. So why are you cast down, oh my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Have you nothing to say? Have you nothing to express to God from your soul? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. And the the thing that I want to draw out from this passage of Scripture is here's the psalmist that is crying out a very real psalm, and we're grateful for it because these psalmists say things that we go through. And they the Holy Spirit puts our longing into these words so we can pray them when we find such comfort in them because we find ourselves there. And sometimes we're wondering where God is, and we, we feel like we're sinning if we even ask that question. But here's the psalmist saying, no, I'll say it. Where are you? I'm in a difficult place. Where are you? And in all of these questions that the psalmist is crying out to God about, his soul through the night just crying out to God, he comes to this revelation about deep calling out to deep. And even in those seasons of life when it seems that God is so far away and your heart is so cold and and maybe people are agitating you because the God that you have boasted about doesn't seem to be very relevant for you right now and you feel cold and God seems distant, the very reason your soul is crying out to him is because the deep of God is calling out to the deep of you. This man wants a living God and God wants a living people. I want the deep of you. I want the deep of your spirit. I don't want a quick fix. I want you to be hungry. I want you to be thirsty. I want you to pour your soul in. I want you more. I want you to want me more than anything. The deep of me is stirring up the deep of you. Through situations in life you don't understand and you can't even answer your enemies. The only thing you know is that I'm your God and the health of your countenance and I'm going to help you. And you know this is not the end of your life. That's what you know. I thank God that's the God that we have. I thank God that there is a living God that is so personal, so attractive, so compelling 
that he literally grabs hold of the deep spirit of his people who lay awake at night crying for him. Longing for him. Church is not enough. The prayer meeting is not enough. The worship service is not enough. The Christian friends are not enough. I need this God. And I need him now in my life. And I will not stop pursuing him. Nobody else can feed this hunger or quench this thirst that I have in my life. Jesus Christ is coming back very, very soon. I say that with biblical confidence. The coming of the Lord is at hand. The days are drawing to an end. The time is short. And you, lovers of God, what are you going to do? A couple of Sundays ago, I talked about the mark of Christ on our life. And I want to continue that thought just a little bit more this morning. And so if you're about to meet Jesus Christ and stand face to face with him, what do you need to do to get ready for that meeting? What is the deep of God stirring up in the deep of you? What is it that you mean to do for Jesus before he comes? What is it that you need to get straight with him before he comes? Because you and I have no idea how much time we really do have. There's a lot of you that are really concerned about meeting Jesus. And you want to have something from this life to show to him that you truly did honor him in your life. And I want to tell you that the greatest thing that you can do for God is to love him with all your heart. It seems so easy, but it is absolutely so supernatural to even love God. But Jesus said that the greatest commandment of all the commandments is that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. You don't need a pulpit. To stand behind to meet Jesus. You don't need to teach a Sunday school class to meet Jesus. You don't need to go out into the city and convert 50 or 100 people to Christ to meet Jesus Christ. Because we can do a lot of those things without love and it profits us nothing. But the greatest thing a person can do is to love the Lord. And right there. Many of us know. I don't love him with all my heart. Because you can go to bed at night distant from God. You can wake up in the morning distant from God and it doesn't bother us. Our hearts are callous. The fire is gone. The passion is out. But this passionate God, this longing God, this living God is stirred up in his bowels for you. And every day pursuing you and pursuing you and pursuing you. And oftentimes we don't even know it. And I would imagine that. In God answering this psalmist is that 
I am there every day. I am there every moment. I am longing for you more than you are longing for me. And the greatest thing that anybody could ever do for God, to be prepared to meet Jesus Christ and to go with him to heaven and into his, into his eternal kingdom, is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And the proof and the test that you love God that way is that you love your brothers. Because anybody can say that they love God, but the test of it is that you love one another. And this is critical. And so in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 3, the Bible gives us this instruction. Verse 11. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. God is guiding us. And the Lord make you, the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end that this abounding of love would go to the very end, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. You want to be ready to meet Jesus Christ? Then let God make you a disciple of love. Let God put the fire in your heart again. Let God put the fire of the Holy Spirit upon you again. Jesus said when he came, I have a baptism to baptize you with. And that is the baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire. And fire denoting the passionate love of God coming upon your life that demands, that demands that you love him back. It gets a hold of your life and it consumes you from the inward parts of your being. You can't go to sleep at night. Your soul longs for God. You can't be casual. You can't just be a church attender. There's something in you that is consuming you with him. And what is that? God is making me to increase and to abound in love. And the measure of this abounding of love in my life is being demonstrated upon people all around me. It's being demonstrated upon my brothers, one toward another, but then toward all men. In case we think, oh, it's just enough for me to love the church. No, no, no. Love all men this way. Because Jesus loves all men. Every man. Everywhere. He loves them. In chapter 4, verse 9, he says this. But as touching brotherly love, you don't even need me to write this to you. For you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. You're taught of God to love one another. Imagine that. I don't even have to write a letter about loving your brothers because God teaches you how to do that. So, is that being exercised in your life? Or are you just consumed with your life? And I've got my problems and I've got the things that I've got to deal with. And I, I just don't have time for more problems in my life and the problems of other people. But something's happening in me. And something is transforming inside of me, my heart and my longings and my desires. And though I might be overwhelmed with my own struggles in life, I want to spend my time helping other people. What is this? It's God living in you. It's the way God lives. 
And is God living in you? Beloved, is God living in you? Have you really been baptized in the Spirit of God and fire? Is the Holy Spirit really expanding your heart to such a degree that you can practically feel that it's about to explode in your life? This is what the visitation of the Holy Spirit does to us. In the 1700s, the Holy Spirit fell on a group of Moravians in Germany, led by Zinzendorf, and they were, they were meeting together. It was just a casual group of people until they were convicted in the Bible about the power of God able to come upon them. They started to read in the book of Acts how God moved upon the churches. They were captivated by the common thread through it all was faith and love and faith and love and faith and love. They were so moved by this and they were confronted with their own inability to do even the most simple things in life, which is to love their brothers and do good to one another. They were at each other's throats. The church was attacking itself. There was gossip and debate and division and strife rampant among the people. People were demanding justice who really didn't want justice for themselves, but we want justice for them. And the church was set at such a fragile state that Zinzendorf took them into a time of prayer and said, the one thing that we desperately need is we need to put off ourselves and we need to put on Christ. And he led them into a time of just sitting before the word of God and sitting before God in prayer. And all of a sudden, they said, suddenly the Holy Spirit was poured out upon us. And we were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And we were speaking in tongues. And the power of God came upon our life. And we were this way for weeks. They reported in history, we didn't know if we were in heaven or on earth. The love was so great among us. Everybody wanted to care for everybody. Petty offenses were thrown out the window. Nobody wanted to enact justice upon their brother. We all wanted mercy and we all wanted forgiveness. And we all wanted to get on with the work of God. We were consumed with love. We were consumed with love. And you know what our passion was? You know what our passion was in life? And I know what some people would say. Your passion in life was missions. No, it wasn't. The passion for the Moravians was not missions. The passion for the Moravians was we want to dwell with God. We want to walk with God. We want to talk to God. We want to inhabit his presence. We want to know the presence of God. So they formed one quarter, the quarter, the day up into quarters, four parts. And they would have people praying during each part of the day. And they began to have these intercessory prayer times just to be with God. And there they are just dwelling with God, alive in the spirit. Oh, blessed life, blessed Christianity that's alive to your God. How blessed it is to be passionate for God, to want to love Jesus and be loved back by him. And so they prayed through the day, 24 hours. They broke it up into quarters. And they prayed this way. They prayed this way for a whole week. 24 hours a day for a whole week. And then they prayed that way for another week, and they prayed that way another week, and they prayed that way an entire month. 24 hours a day, nonstop, the Moravians, just a handful of them, they were praying and interceding at the throne of God, just in love with God. We just want to be with God. And there they are in the presence of God for over a month, 24 hours a day in intercessory prayer. But it didn't stop there. They began to pray for another month. It never stopped. They prayed for four months. They prayed for six months. They prayed for an entire year, 24 hours a day. A little band of German Christians did not stop bombarding the throne of God. 
But it went more than a year. It went 10 years, 24 hours a day, nonstop, bombarding the presence of God. But it didn't go 10 years. It went 25 years, nonstop, 24 hours a day, enjoying the presence of God and the habitation of Christ. But it went more than 25 years. For 100 years, the Moravians prayed day and night, day and night out of love because they were baptized in the Holy Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God wanted the Father God and wanted the Son God. And that is why the deep of man was crying out to the deep of God. Because the deep of man is the craving of the Holy Spirit to have fellowship with the Father and the Son. But he's confined himself to us. And we can be so cold and we can be so cruel to him and we can go on with our business. And those Moravians, as they were caught up in the presence of God for 100 years, they began to hear things. They heard the bombs. They heard the massacres. They heard the cries of the people. They heard the battered wives. They heard the cries of babies suffering from hunger. And they began to want to go and help them. Oh, I want to go help them. And they began to form a mission society that in just a matter of years did more than the established church did in the previous 200 years. Three men of the Moravians would sell themselves into slavery to go to an island where no Christian missionary was ever allowed to come. But these Christian Moravians sold themselves to be the slave of this master so they could live on a plantation where they had 2,500 slaves who would die and go to hell because nobody would ever have access to the name of Jesus Christ if somebody didn't take it. But those Moravians heard those slaves praying. They heard those slaves crying. They were at the throne of God and God was hearing it and they were hearing it. And because they loved God, they loved those slaves they had never met in their life. They charter the boat of slavery after they had been bought by the master. And the family and the friends are watching them as they sail off. Not really understanding you've given your life. This isn't a two-year missionary trip. This is the rest of your life in hardship and slavery. How do you explain this? And one of them cried back, May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. What does that to a man? What does that to a woman? What changes the course of history? What gets inside beyond the bones of a human being into the spirit and the heart that so consumes them that all I want to do is be with God? I want to dwell in the secret place and inhabit the Lord and you get so close to Him and your bowels become consumed, your heart consumed for the things that consume Him. You can hear it today. If you get close, you can hear it today. You can hear the cries of the people at the throne of God. They're still there. God still cares. But no longer does God say, who will I send? Because he already sent it. It's us. And if you listen carefully at the throne of God, you'll hear it. Why won't they go? Why won't they go? Why won't they go? So I express this to you with all of my heart. That we would invite the Holy Spirit to come to us. And enlarge our hearts and make us abound in love. Because that alone is the work of God. You can't do it to yourself. You can't pray this way. You can't inhabit God's presence and 
commune with him like this apart from his own power and his own spirit in your life? So Thessalonians says it's God that teaches us how to pray, teaches us how to love our brothers. In chapter in Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse five, it says this. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. That's the that's the rapture, the coming of the Lord. It's amazing that all of these teachings on how we're to love being taught directly by God as to how to love always involves the rapture of the church. If you really want to prepare for the rapture of the church, prepare your heart to be a heart filled with love for God and man. Don't fake this. But be honest with God about it. It's okay because God extends to you grace. And if you go before God and say, Lord, my heart is cold, he's not going to beat you down. It's actually the deep of God that brought you to that place. He's going to love you. He's going to heal you. He's going to enlarge you. The most bitter people in the world are the people that don't know how to love. The happiest people that have ever lived are the people that loved God with all their heart and loved man. Yeah, they were persecuted and they suffered, but they were the happiest ones of all because they did it by choice. They could have done anything, but they did that. Second Peter chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me, I want to read this to you. I know that as a church, we've heard this so much, but I think it's always good to put us in remembrance of these things. <clears throat> Peter says in his epistle, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5, he says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity, love, agape, and add to charity. There's nothing. And that's the maturity of the saint. With all of your growing, grow there. Because I, I submit this to you. If you stop anywhere in this growth of sanctification, if you stop anywhere in the list and don't come to charity, you'll live as a Pharisee. And it'll be harsh. You will not have love to demonstrate. You can show some brotherly love. You can be good to those who are good to you. You can do good to those who do good to you. But you can't agape. You can't love those who don't love you. You can't be good to those who are not good to you. That's supernatural. And so, beloved... Peter does not give us anything beyond charity because there's nothing else. Love is the maturity of the saint and is what we're all coming to. Without this love, we can't even minister to each other. There'll be debate, there'll be fightings, there'll be strife in a thousand different ways. Criticism, jealousy, but with love, there is healing and there is peace. So I want to look at just a, a couple of more scriptures. Galatians chapter 5. I love the word of God. 
There's nothing that I have to say that's relevant if it's not from the scriptures. I know we're living in a generation that doesn't maybe go to the word so much, just a verse and go from it. But I thank God for his word. And the Bible says in chapter 5, verse 1 of Galatians, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He's telling them, don't go back to the law. Remain in the grace of God. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you be circumcised, which is putting yourself back under the law, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect to you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. You did run well, but who hindered you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion comes not of him that called you. Somebody's persuaded you and it wasn't God. It wasn't the spirit of freedom. It was another spirit. It wasn't God's spirit. And your desire to be holy, which was the desire of the Galatians. We want to be more holy. We want to be more sanctified. You started to implement the law of Moses over your life. And as a result of that, you're fallen from grace. I don't want that to happen to you. So Paul says this. Faith works by love. Faith works by love. And I think we're trying to find out so much today. What's wrong with our faith? People ask the questions all the time. Where are the revivals? Where's the awakening? We're having prayer meetings. We're praying for our city. We're believing God for healing. We're believing God for miracles. We're believing God for an awakening or a revival. Where is that? Why are we not seeing that? How can we have a stronger faith? How can we have a better faith? How can we have a more active faith? What more do we need to do? We're in the scriptures. We're studying. We're doing all these. But to be honest with you, I don't think it's our faith. I think it's our love that's messed up. I believe the faith is there. But faith cannot work without love. Faith works by love. This whole new covenant with Jesus Christ. This whole relationship with God. The only possible way for this faith to function is by love. It is the most dangerous thing for our hearts to grow cold. It is the most dangerous thing for us to become callous towards God and towards one another. Because if we become cold and the love of God is not at work in our life, faith is shut down. And whatever is not of faith is sin. And so I believe that one of the things that we're really crying for and praying for is not the reluctance of heaven to give it, but it's the inability of the church of Jesus Christ to really love the way God wants us to love. I'm not saying this of you. I'm not saying this of every Christian. And I'm not saying this of every church in our town. But I am saying it in such a way, beloved, really examine your heart. When was the last time you laid on your bed at night and cried through the night just longing for God? I just want to be with God. And it didn't happen as fast as you wanted it to happen. So you stopped praying. 
And you stopped being hungry. And you went and ate Butterfingers and Snicker bars spiritually. Because you didn't want to have to get a, a hunger and a healthy meal of God's presence. So I popped in a CD or a tape or a music thing or a preaching and listened to it. And it just gave me a, a Butterfinger satisfaction. Didn't do much benefit for me. Because I'm still longing for the presence of God. My heart's still the same. Preaching's not going to heal your hearts. God is. May preaching help us direct our hearts to God. Going to church isn't going to help our hearts. Our, our world's in such trouble. And I believe that our faith really needs to become active. History shows us that one of the common threads in every revival was a keen sense of love and respect for one another and for God. In the Welsh Revival in 1906, some of the things that Evan Roberts simply said to the church was this. He said, whoever needs to be forgiven, forgive them. No questions asked, forgive them. Make sure that you have love in your heart. Humble yourself before God. Honor God and honor the churches. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on that group. And as soon as somebody would begin to come in and tinker with that, the Holy Spirit began to withdraw. Faith works by love. And we need to have this kind of love in our churches. And I just want to go to a couple of other things. And then I'm going to close. But I want you to read these two scriptures with me. In James chapter 3. I just want you to know that God is watching. And God is listening. In James 3. Verse 7, every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and has been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame, for it is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless God, even the Father, and with it we curse men, which are made after the similitude of God. And out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings, and my brothers, these things ought not to be. A bitter fountain doesn't send out sweet water, and a sweet fountain doesn't send out bitter water. Remember that, and go to Ephesians 4, and I want you to see this, because we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of love, the spirit of grace, the spirit of tenderness, the spirit of Christ. There's nothing weak about love. So remember this in James chapter 3 that we use our mouths and we come and we bless God and we sing hymns and we sing songs to God and we make declarations about God and how great God is and how wonderful God is and how much I love God. And then we speak bad about men. We condemn men. We condemn the man on the street corner. We condemn people of another race. We condemn people of another political party. And we're the people of God and, and, and God sees it and God hears it. And we're asking God, Lord, would you bring a revival to Baton Rouge? And, and, and the Lord's, I, I honestly believe that the Lord's great concern is if I, brought a, if I brought a revival to Baton Rouge, where are the people that are going to love them? Where, where are the people that are going to love my children? Because 
If all you do is sanctify yourself from, from faith to knowledge and knowledge to virtue and virtue to temperance and temperance to meekness and meekness to brotherly love, and I bring people to you, well, as long as they act like you and look like you and, and, and speak like you and function like you, you'll be wonderful to them. But the moment you find a mistake in their life, the moment you find a sin in their life, the moment there's something about them that's not quite like you, then we're going to bite each other's heads off. And there'll be a lot of aborted people that I don't want to be aborted. So what, what I need to do is stir up love within my body so that the faith can actually work. The faith to believe me, to sanctify those that I'm going to send you. The faith to believe that by my grace alone, I can save them. I can sanctify them. I can get them home. The faith to believe that and to trust me for that. So be careful with the mouth that we bless God and we curse men. And the same thing is said here in Ephesians 4, 20, 29. Let no corrupt Worthless communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Probably be a lot less divorce if this was happening in our homes. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from, from you with all malice. Don't you want that? I'm not talking about maybe everybody around you is treating you so wonderful. Don't you just want to be free from the bitterness and the malice and the wrath that your own heart struggles with? Let the Holy Ghost in. Let him burn all of that up so that there's only room for love in your heart for God and for man. And then that will begin to become a healing process of reconciliation. In the people that might continue to be hostile. Verse 32. Be kind one to another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Because that's the way God lives. That's the way God acts. So I'll give you an example of this. In the early church in the book of Acts. Paul and, and, and some of the guys were going out into the Gentile world. And they were experiencing that Gentiles were literally coming into the faith and they were believing in Jesus. They were experiencing salvation and the forgiveness of their sins. And the Holy Spirit was being poured out on Gentiles and they were speaking in tongues. And there was some type of controversy within the church because up to this point, the church was only Jewish. And they were trying to reconcile the fact, are we supposed to let the Gentiles in? Is this really a work of God? And if, and if the Gentiles are really coming to faith in Jesus Christ, what, what are the laws? What, what, what are the things we got to tell them to do if they're going to live right and be right? And so they have this big council in Jerusalem. And all of the big guys are there. Peter's there and James is there and Paul is there and Barnabas is there. And all these guys are there. To, to, to Paul's there to say, y'all, it's true. The, the Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. This is the work of God. I mean, Jesus baptizes in the Holy Ghost. And there are people being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, it's true. I was in Cornelius' house. I didn't touch any of them. And the Holy Ghost fell on them. They were all speaking in tongues. I mean, who am I to forbid that? God's doing a work. And so James speaks up and James says it's true. David even quoted this, that God would bring the Gentiles in. So let's celebrate this. Well, what are we going to require them to do? And they began to bring up Moses and they began to bring up the law of, of what we're going to prescribe upon 
the, the Gentiles that are coming into faith with Jesus Christ, and I forget who it is, but one of the apostles speaks up and he says, wait a minute, wait, wait, time out. You're going to demand the Gentiles to live a lifestyle you can't live? Jesus saved us from that and saved us by his grace and is going to keep us by his grace. And that is the way we're living and that is all we're going to demand for the Gentiles. We're not going to put anything on them. They talk a little bit more and they say, well, that sounds good to us. And let's just say that they don't drink blood and eat meat offered to idols or things that were strangled and fornication. Let's let's put those things in there as well. But we're not going to put anything on the Gentiles just to come to God by faith and grace in God and live and walk that way. And so I say this to you because I really want us to understand it. And I pray that it would really prick your heart as I just come to this and, and bring this to an end. I believe with all of my heart, the end times revival that we are waiting for is waiting upon us to love. And I say that from the beginning of this message, Jesus is about to come. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet him? What do you want to do for Jesus? When you meet God, are you prepared to meet him? And and so I just simply say, love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, because if you really love God, guess what's going to go to work? Faith. Not committees and conference meetings and agendas and smart heads coming together on how can we have a strategic meeting for Baton Rouge. But the Holy Spirit is going to begin to move in your faith and God's going to begin to do some powerful things in our life, our homes, our churches, our cities. Jesus is going to be demonstrated. So love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. That's the greatest thing that we can do for faith to begin to work in the Holy Spirit to begin to move up on our life. Because the Bible tells us very clearly. Peter said it in 1 Peter 4. He says, beloved, the end of everything is at hand. The end of the world is here. Therefore, be sober. Pray. But above everything else, have fervent love among yourselves. For love shall cover a multitude of sin. Love is not going to let Pharisees kill the life of Jesus in those he has saved. Love's not going to let it happen. I want to love like that, where I'm not scared of Pharisees, where I'm not scared of religion, where I'm not scared of tradition. But I want to be baptized in love so fully and so much That I want to live and pursue the heart and the desires of God. Not for my community, but for God. I don't want revival so that we don't don't become communist. That's a selfish thing. I want revival because I can hear at the throne of God the cries of the people that don't know God. And it's, it's a horrifying sound to hear. The wailing of God and the desire of God to love them. And the cry of God that says, why won't my church go? Why won't my church go? And I hear that. And I long for that. So I want to say this to you as well. Peter, Paul said to Timothy in the last days, there'll be doctrines of devils, seducing spirits. Men will be lovers of their own selves, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, boasters, proud, blasphemers, heady, high-minded. This is the church he's talking about. Having a form of godliness 
but denying the power thereof. And the power of godliness is God. It's the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, the love of God that is in our life, that God is bringing us to that mature place of love. Jesus said in the last days, the love of many will wax cold. Y'all, that's us. This is our day. That's why I'm preaching this message, not because y'all are loveless people. But I'm preaching this message to stir up our hearts, to maybe poke behind the veil of, of the masquerade that maybe some of us are wearing, that my heart's not as consumed for God as it used to be. I'm kind of content to go through the day or the week and not have a great content of fellowship with God. I've just learned to live with it. Oh, please don't, because God's not content with it. So I'm just kind of poking at this to be able to say, we're the last day's people, and we're warned by the apostles and Jesus Christ there's going to be a great lack of love. Felix and I were in a church service together. Not long ago, we were in a church service together, and we're standing there. And I just said to Felix, I said, what have we done to the church? I like to ask him questions too. And I said, there are no young people here. There are no teenagers here. What have we done to the church? We've made it so boring. We've portrayed God as so dull through our calisthenics and everything else. Where's the attraction? Isn't God lovely? Isn't God just so beautiful? Isn't he just the most wonderful person you could ever be with? Oh, if men would just get out of the way. I said, Felix, you know what we need? He said, we need another hippie revival. That's what we need. Because the hippie revival in the 70s rocked the church. It rocked religion. It turned the Pharisees upside down. Thank God for a Billy Graham and a Chuck Smith who are willing to say this is a move of God. Oh, okay. So Baptist elders and deacons began to somewhat accept it. But tie-dye shirts and flip-flops and t-shirts... You ain't coming in here like that. And you want to what? You want to sing songs? No way. You've written songs to God that you want to sing in our churches? No way. We sing hymns out of the hymn book. Anything else will be sin. You'll go to hell for that. This was the attitude. But the hippie revival shook the church, brought life into it. Made it a little bit messy. Dirtied up our beautiful cathedrals. Holy Spirit swept in to the brave leaders and churches that were willing to accept them and trust in the grace of God. To sanctify them and make them like Jesus Christ. One of our pastors was saved in the hippie revival. I would love a hundred more Evans. Thank God for the one, but I'd love a hundred more. Yeah, but here's the deal. If we had a hippie revival today, we would all love the courage being able to say, we'll take them in. But we don't have hippies today. 
We have BLM. And we have a woke culture that hates you. They have no idea how to act like you act. Or talk like you talk. Or look like you look. Or sing like you sing. They have no idea. But what if God were to bring them in? Where are the courageous leaders and churches then? Where you have people who have, who have mutilated their bodies. From being a boy to being a girl. Or from being a girl to being a boy. And they have forever changed themselves. And they're going to look like that and deal with that until they get their glorified body. What are we going to do with that? Because I can tell you right now, bring them, God. And it's easy to say. But it's another thing to do. And it'll become so difficult. It'll become so stressful. It'll take so much labor that I am going to get exhausted trying to care for that new move of God and an old established move of God. And only love. You know what I'm talking about, moms. When your babies have been sick and you have multiple kids and one sickness goes to the next child to the next child and... You spend three or four weeks awake, dead tired, but you keep mothering. Why? Because you love. And that's what it's going to take in the church of Jesus Christ. And what we pray for and what we want to see, are we prepared for it? Are we prepared for it? God knows. The people that we're asking God for a revival for, we've been cursing with our mouth. It's not curse words. It's just demeaning. It's critical. It's criticism against them who are made in the image of God. And so God begins to bring people in from different walks of life. And they don't know our songs. But they really got saved. They're really born again. The Spirit of God really lives in them. And the song to God that's coming out of them is different than anything you ever heard. You going to let them sing it? Are you going to let them worship God? Are you going to let them praise Him because it's different? We have to have the rule of the Holy Spirit and the love of God in our heart to be able to demonstrate God's love for all men. It's not to let the lost parade around however they want. But those that are legitimately being born again, who have no concept of church life, there's no basis for them even understanding. Like you grew up in church and your children have grown up in church and you ought to know better. And they're like, I don't know better. I have no clue what to do in here. And, and if they start getting saved, I guarantee you they're going to be terrified to walk through these doors. People come up, their whole body has been changed. Their whole body has been scarred. Could you imagine them having the courage to get in the car or catch a ride 
drive to that parking lot, be let out, and walk through those doors, and what will we do? Hmm. Pastor Lee, just want you to know there's some people in the lobby. Or will you? I am so glad you're here. Tell me what you need. Will you sit with me? Will you worship beside me today? Can I help you in church? I'll explain anything to you. Help you pray. Whatever it might be. I'm just so glad to see you. God is so excited that you've come to his house today. What will we do? Because it's easy if we look like each other. I want to love. That turns my life inside out. First to God. And always to man. So this last thing. It's one thing to love them that might be coming out of a culture that is totally opposite of anything you and I can even think. But what about each other? What about Christians? What about people that offended you and hurt you and upset you? What about somebody that talked about you or gossiped about you? What about somebody that may have been rude to you? Are you going to love them? That's, that's the greater test. Are you going to love them? I want this love. I'm desperate. I'm desperate for the love of God in my life. I want you to stand with me. I simply say to you, in regards to Psalm 42, I can only say it this way because this is the way you're going to know it. Is the deep of God calling to the deep of God in you and will you respond I'm not asking you to tell God how you're going to love and how you're going to reform yourself because you can't the Bible tells us very clearly it's God who teaches us and leads us into love it's God who does that but I want that in my life I want to be a part of the move of God I don't want to miss what God is doing because I have the faith to believe it, but I don't have the love to show it. I want the baptism in the Holy Spirit and love on my life. I need the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn up the, the things that are in my heart that are just getting in the way. The doubts, the confusions, the unbelief, the bitterness, the anger, the jealousy. Burn it up, Holy Spirit. Burn it up. Would you come, please? Would you come? Men, would you come? Would you be leaders? Would you just have the courage to bow before your God and just say to God, I, I miss you. I miss you, God. It's been so long. And I've become content and I don't want to be. I want a hunger for you. I want a thirst for you. I want to be with you. I want a living God. Come on, would you just move?
Would you move yourself? Would you present your bodies as a living sacrifice? Would you open your heart up and just cry to the Lord? Just begin to lift your prayer up to the Lord. Because I can promise you, His ear is already on your heart. Quick to forgive. Quick to show mercy. To help you, to heal you, to love you. To love you. How many of you need to be filled again with the Holy Spirit? Fresh and new. Come on, just begin to pray for God to do that in your life. How many young people need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? How many homes need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Let this be the first day, the beginning, the new day, the rest of your life. An apostle of love, abounding in love and growing in love, which means you're going to be a mighty man or woman of faith. Because faith is going to be able to work in your life. You're going to dwell close to God. You're going to hear things in God that just rapture you. It's just so wonderful to be with God. And you're going to be a key element in the work of the Holy Spirit to make the church alive and fresh and new in His Spirit and in His life. Grace for grace. Grace for grace.